When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another exciting edition of Trashy Divorces. Hey friends, I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. Thanks for coming back for another week of our season seven listener suggested Trashy Divorces. Relax, settle in, take a break. We have some good stories this week with a lot of spiderwebs. Yeah, and speaking of that, uh, we would be really remiss if we did not use this classic by No Doubt because the lead singer is in my story this week. It sure is. Stacey, who did you cover in our second story? I've got Gwen and Gavin, Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rossdale. And they're... you're still bouncing from just your nostalgia glee. I, oh my God. Seriously. Like I was, I was the right age for, for that. All of that. And uh, anyway, and then they had a, a bad breakup in 2015. Bad, bad, <laughs> bad, bad. How Super about, bad. How about you? How was yours? I have the tale of two star-crossed lovers Vivian Lee and Lawrence Olivier this week. Oh, this love affair was way too hot not to cool down. So good. Before we get to our episodes, let's go ahead and talk about some spider webs. This past week on Patreon, we did a whole deep dive into the Myers-Briggs typology in honor of Virgos this month. And ended up being like five mini episodes. I, I saw this described as um, astrology with an MBA. <laughs> Kinda. It's pretty good. Oh, I did a follow up on Princess Alice of Greece, who is Queen Elizabeth II's mother in law. It was kind of a neat story. And this week, we pulled out a new series. We did. We, we have all these like occasional series. We'll just whatever theme something falls under. This was The X Files, your idea. And we covered Ellen DeGeneres and Anne Heche for the X-Files this week. It's a pretty trashy breakup. It was a pretty trashy time of life. <laughs> so lots of trash candy over there. Don't forget, you can access some free episodes on the bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine. Just plug that into your browser. Or join us over there for hundreds of episodes for mm-hmm. as little as five bucks a month. Speaking of some trash candy. Let's go to the magic mirror. Oh, the magic mirror. Let's pull it out with continuing love and thanks. A huge trashy shout out to our new patrons this week. Thank you to Ginger, Jen PB, April K, Masha, Shannon S, Ashley N, Brittany V, Shatoya G, and Alex. And we also have some new trash candy connoisseur super supporters to thank this week. Thank you to Jacqueline D, Shannon A, Kelly A, and Pauline M. Hope you're enjoying it. Patrons, y'all are the very best. Thank you so much for your support over on patreon.com slash trashy divorces. All of our listeners, thanks for coming back and spending another week digging into some trash candy. It's about that time, Stacy. You ready I, to walk into some spider webs? I think we really, really should. How about we... Go, go, go. So, Alicia, you have a pair that, if they're not actual royalty, they're 
gosh darn close in terms of Hollywood royalty. Hollywood royalty, one of the steamiest matches in Hollywood. It was a trashy get together and a trashy divorce. That's how we like it. But what a ride for the 20 years that they were together. Vivian Lee and Lawrence Olivier, Viv and Larry, these two, royalty <laughs> of stage and screen. I want to go ahead and just talk about it real quick now. Opposing signs. The last time that we saw the Taurus-Scorpio opposing sign matchup was Tori and Dean. Taurus-Scorpio are the most most of opposing signs. They're forces of nature, both of them. Uh, Taurus and a Scorpio cannot help themselves. They are going to be attracted to each other. My best advice is to handle with care in the Taurus-Scorpio match. However, most of the time, no one listens to me. (laughs) So before we begin the Trashy Divorces tale of Viv and Larry, I want to give a few shout-outs to our Trash Pandas who suggested this episode with many thanks. Jessica N., Carrie A., Melissa O., this one is for y'all. As always, the references I use for the story are posted on our TrashyDivorces.com site, But on this one, I want to give a huge shout out to a stellar individual. Her name is Kendra Bean, and she has been curating this website since 2007 called VivAndLarry.com. It is a treasure trove of archival information, resources, articles, photos. Kendra has also written books both on Vivian Lee and one of our favorite one of my favorite, at least, past Trashy Divorces alums, Ava Gardner. Hmm. Thank you, Kendra, for your love and commitment to your work. And friends, if you are into any of these storylines and like some rabbit holes, please go to vivinlarry.com and check out the work Kendra is doing. You can also follow her on Twitter or Instagram for your daily dose of Vivin Larry. It's delightful. <laughs> so good. This will not be the first marriage for either one of our lovebirds, but let's get them to the Trashy Divorces Depot, respectively. Old Larry. Larry's born May 22nd, 1907. He's a Taurus, but he is also born in the cusp of energy. So he's going to get a few of those Aries fire sign things within him. Well, thank God for that. (laughs) We may not want to, you may be speaking too soon there. I'll I'll let you decide in a few moments. Larry's dad is an Anglican clergyman and a real jerk to Larry. Larry is getting his love and attention from his mom, but that will stop when mom dies when he is 13 years old. Super sad. Larry adores his mom. That's been his connection to love, but worse than that, her death will leave Larry with a father who feels like This kid is just a nuisance and kind of unnecessary. Dad frightens Larry. Larry's terrified of his father. And I want to stress this. Even when Larry is an old man in his 80s, he has nightmares about his father. Okay, that's, yeah, all right. So after the age of 13, not a real good time for Larry. Perhaps some Amago coming in if your Trashy Divorces bingo cards are out. Larry's finding some escape in acting. He's developing his talent. And in 1928, Larry's going to meet his first wife, Jill Esmond. She's an Aquarius. She's lovely. 
She is a super, super talented actress and I think highly underrated. She's also the daughter of a very rich and successful playwright. And Larry, smitten kitten. Jill, not so much. (laughs) There's a little bit of uh, international chasing that happens because she, they're in this play together in London and she gets called to Broadway and he does not, but he's going to go follow her anyway. Ah. And it, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Let's say that Jill would definitely be settling in this match. Okay. She's in love with someone else, but Larry is persistent and she's going to introduce Larry to Noel Coward and Bernard Shaw. And she's going to change up his clothes and refine him a little bit. But again, she's in love with someone else. And Larry at this point is still a virgin and he really wants to have sex. Mostly with Jill. And by 1930, Larry's charm has broken Jill down and these two get hitched. Both Larry and Jill realize pretty quickly that it is maybe not what they should have done. Mm. Might have been better to cut your losses and run now, but alas, this marriage is going to take about a decade before it's said and done. Let's talk about the big things here before we set Larry in the Trashy Divorces Depot. Jill and Larry marry. Jill will work as his manager. They go to Hollywood to live the dream. And here's the thing. Jill is, at this point, far more talented, far more established, is getting much better roles. Larry is riding Jill's coattails to get to what he wants to do. And in Hollywood, Jill gets a contract with RKO for $175 a week. Which was a lot of money at the time, but I mean... Not as much money as the men that are under contract for RKO. I mean, I I chuckle at these sums on their face, but I mean, that was was a lot of money at the time. 10K a year, that's enormous. But uh, this depresses Larry a little, because he's a little jealous, and his career isn't doing what Jill's is doing, so I have a great idea. Let's sabotage Jill's career. Oh, God. So just as Jill has gotten the best part in a little film, Trashy Divorce's favorite of mine, called A Bill of Divorcement, <laughs> Larry's like, nope, gonna need you, babe, to turn that part down, and we're gonna go back to England, where you're not making $175 a week, and I'm not threatened by your burgeoning career. Few spiderwebs about this role that Jill does not take. That role is given to another actress, Catherine Hepburn, will get that part and make her 1932 film debut in A Bill of Divorcement, co-starring with John Barrymore, directed by George Cukor, and produced by David O. Selznick. Hmm. Okay. This path not taken for Jill, Catherine Hepburn takes on and will in turn create her own legend. So Larry and Jill, back to England it is. Larry is jealous. Jill is unfulfilled. Larry is going to be playing Shakespeare in the theater. He's playing Romeo in 1935. He's getting rave reviews. And that's kind of where we're going to leave Larry for a moment to meet his future bride. Playing Shakespeare in the theater in London. Vivian is born November 5th, 1913. Scorpio gal. And again, Scorpio women, never just an ordinary girl. She's a little younger than Larry, six years or so. Vivian grows up in India. 
and traveling. Dad is an officer, so there's lots of moving around. But mom takes Viv's education pretty seriously, introducing her to the classics and great works, and will bring Viv along to the local theater where mom does some stuff. And Viv's like, hey, this is pretty fun. Vivian's going to head to convent school at the age of five, where she's going to meet a real sweet gal named Margaret O'Sullivan, our future Jane in the Tarzan films, as well as mother to previous Trashy Divorces alum, Mia Farrow. Vivian at the convent school is kind of super lonely, and the mother superior is going to give Vivian a cat (laughs) to take care of, beginning Viv's love for all cats For all time, Vivian Lee is a cat lady. She particularly likes Siamese cats, if you please. This is appropriate. We can dig that. Also, if your bingo card is moving along, add some horrible conditioning within these convent schools with religious punishment and guilt and prayers and penance. So good things, bad things. She has a cool cat and she has a friend in Margaret O'Sullivan, but Viv's life is going to progress Her family moves a bunch, eventually returning to Britain in 1931. Viv will enroll in the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts and also meets her husband number one, a top barrister named Lee Holman. He's 13 years older. He's very settled. He does not much approve of the theater, but very much approves of his young and beautiful 19-year-old wife. Vivian and Lee will marry in December 1932, and she'll eventually quit RADA. She's done with the Royal Academy. In October of 1933, Vivian will give birth to her daughter. Her name is Suzanne, and it's okay for a while, but Viv's really not super into this wife and mother thing, and eventually she's drawn back into acting, which will lead Vivian to the theater one night, where a very dashing And very married, Laurence Olivier is starring. And this is where our tale really starts to heat up. Opening night of the play, Scorpio Girl sees Taurus Man. I must have him. Hmm. It is magnetic and instant, and she is smitten kitten. After the performance, Vivian is going to go to Larry's dressing room. She stays a few minutes. They chat. She drops on some kind of charm, kisses Larry on the shoulder on the way out, and Larry is (laughs) done for. (laughs) Okay. I cannot tell you. The Taurus Scorpio attraction is... Wow. Okay. The attraction is intense, and everyone knows they're an item, and their affair begins, but it's... They're... Working out to appear with each other in films and on stage so they can conduct their affairs secretly, even Mm. though it's absolutely no secret. Sure. They're an item. The affair begins. Kind of bad timing here. Their affair apparently starts two weeks before Jill, remember Larry's wife, two weeks before she delivers their only child, Tarquin. Not great timing. Yeah, weird. Okay. Jill understandably, it's pretty pissed off, which I totally get. And Jill's like, this seems like a reasonable. Yeah. Oh, no, I'd reaction. Be mm-hmm. mad. And Jill's like, hey, baby, let's take a little vacation. Me and you. Let's go to Capri on holiday. 
Doesn't that sound wonderful? I love their juice boxes. <laughs> Larry's like, yeah, sure. And they go. And it's wonderful until Vivian shows up. All kinds of innocent. What are you two doing here? It's so good yeah. to see you. Kiss, kiss and all that. Jill's no idiot. Mm-hmm. And Larry and Viv are all over each other. They are literally, the affair is out there. They cannot keep their eyes, hands. Poor Jill. I, whoa, it's shameful. After that holiday in Capri, juice boxes, notwithstanding, <laughs> it's pretty over. But it's going to get a little bit more complicated for our fair lovers and their spouses because everybody's going to need to make it way more complicated than it is. So Larry and Viv will star together in a movie called Fire Over England. It's a big hit. They will decide to do Hamlet together in Denmark in 1937 so they can essentially run away from their families and be together (laughs) without any interference. And it's on this particular run of Hamlet that the two of them decide that they really can run away from their families and be together. And the decision is made. He's going to leave Jill and his son, and she's going to leave Lee and her daughter, and the deal is done. There's a little problem. Neither Jill (laughs) nor Lee Holman are cooperating. Well, consent. Right. Hmm. Come on, you two. Like, it's not going to happen. And the contests are getting a little bit more heated between each couple. But the world here, this is late 1930s, is going to poke its own influence, even into the hottest of affairs. It's 1939, and we have the Second World War looming. (laughs) Also, Larry's kid, Tarquin, gets meningitis, which will take all of the Olivier's back over to the United States. But Larry and Jill are going to set up on different coasts. Jill stays in the East Coast. Larry goes to the West Coast. Does the kid survive? Yeah. Tarquin's fine. Okay. And he has been a historian for his dad's life. Most of my source material here came from a documentary that he worked on called The Olivier's in Love. It's a great little thing. Tarquin's fine. Okay. Well, meningitis is dangerous. That's why I asked. So is England in 1939. (laughs) Okay. So old Larry... He's hanging out in Hollywood. He's about to be in a little film called Weathering Heights. Hmm. Oh, Heathcliff. <laughs> He's also living with his honey, Vivian Lee, who is taken off for Hollywood as well and left her husband and daughter behind across the pond. Because she's hanging out with Larry, hanging out in the pool every day. And uh, she's also going to make a play for the role that Viv has known for a few years now that was meant to be hers. The role of Scarlett O'Hara in Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind. Never just an ordinary girl. Vivian is determined. This role is meant to be hers. The Gone with the Wind spiderwebs and spinoffs here, y'all, are immense. I'm going to be talking about the first of these on Tuesday in Patreon this week. We're going to do a whole episode on Scarlet Fever. The casting for the role of Scarlet in Gone with the Wind. It's going to be pretty fun. All the trash candy about Gone with the Wind and Vivian Lee there. So many rabbit holes coming up. Don't want to cross streams here. To sum up, Vivian does get that part. And where she has just been laying around the pool and waiting for Larry to come home, 
Now Viv has strict standards and codes. And the studio's like, fantastic. You're not allowed to see Larry. We're taking over your accommodations. Nothing is going to steer this off course now that you've been cast. Like, she's practically in every scene of the movie. Right. And she's miserable making it because her one friend right in the movie is George Cukor, who gets fired again. Another story for another day. Uh, Vivian has a 24 hour guard to ensure her compliance with the rules of you can't see Larry. I don't know if that's impressive or distressing or. But like, we're about to make you one of the world's biggest stars. and <laughs> They can't run the risk of her getting pregnant. Yeah, we need three months of your life. It's longer than that. Is it? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, honey. Okay. We're going to have so much fun in the coming weeks on Patreon. But the thing is, everybody knows about Larry and Viv's very open and not even secret affair. They know about their abandoned spouses and their abandoned children, and Vivian is writing to her husband, please divorce me. Lee Holman will acquiesce eventually. By 1940, Jill Esmond will also give in to Larry's demands. Both Jill and Lee will get custody of their respective kids. Seems good. <laughs> Leaving Viv and Larry, seems finally, like a, finally. Seems like a wise choice in to, the best interest of the children. <laughs> to hook these two up. Viv and Larry marry in August 1940. One of the witnesses at that wedding is Catherine Hepburn. Hmm. Spiderwebs. So Larry and Viv's marriage is going to last 20 years, and it's filled with all the ups and downs you can expect in a relationship that is that longstanding. Now, to that witch's brew of a marriage, let's toil and trouble in their two respective personalities, the relationship that started out as very supportive of each other's careers, helping each other out and such, which will turn into a raging professional jealousy. Don't forget to sprinkle some multiple affairs and rampant adultery on both parts. And I mean, there's nothing so far that would lead you to expect that they might not be fully faithful. <laughs> I'm not done with the tragedy part. Miscarriages hmm. and not being able to have the child that Viv so desperately wants to have with Larry and Vivian's upcoming mental illness. This story, y'all, triumph and tragedy, because it all goes well enough for a little while. They're making some good films. After the war, they're going to buy a home in Buckinghamshire. Not just a home, really, but the thousand year old Notley Abbey. There's a whole Dirty Digs coming this week on Patreon about the thousand years of history that Notley Abbey has. It's a great story, not the story for today. Sure. This was just spiderweb city. Larry's knighted. Larry and Vivian are going to tour Australia. They're fighting all the time. Mm. Larry is hitting 40 and having his own midlife crisis thing. Helpfully or not helpfully enough, he's also been studying a lot of Sigmund Freud. Wow. Larry's getting down to those feelings of bad dad and lost too young mom. And he's also starring with this new hot young thing, Gene Simmons, who's young and nubile. And people are saying Gene is the love child of Larry and Viv. 
which is not, not at all true. But the that's ah, bad. There's a theater reviewer in Britain who loves Larry, hates Vivian. And Larry decides to not necessarily stand up for his wife and say, hey, dude, your misogyny isn't that cool. He instead makes, Larry makes this theater reviewer his new BFF. So the theater reviewer writes horrible things about Vivian and that Larry is stepping down just to even act with her. And anything that Vivian does do well, Larry is given the credit for her work. Well, it's only because of Larry that she has any success. What? This is terrible. Terrible. As you can imagine, this is taking a toll on Vivian. I would think. And this will really put the knife in that professional jealousy thing Hmm. between them. In addition to a tremendous amount of hurt on Viv's part. Like, why did you invite this guy to hang out in Notley Abbey for the month, dude? Not cool. What's wrong with you, Larry? Right? Viv's mental state is failing. And the spells that Vivian has had over the years are becoming far more frequent. And I I don't know the right word for this. Uh, Far more demonstrative. But both Larry and Viv are kind of playing along. So she'll kind of have a spell, an episode, and then they'll play along like nothing happened and just smooch all over each other and be fine. Like they don't ever address what's really happening. So he's been reading Freud, but... But this is just too complex to actually deal with, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, they're both playing along with the mental break that she may have, and they're just smoothing it over. And Larry, to your point, is doing a great job at ignoring the underlying causes and the possible treatment that would help his wife at this point. And Vivian, because, you know, that theater reviewer won't get the hell out of her house, she's mad. So she's going to take off to Hollywood to... do a role in A Streetcar Named Desire as Blanche Dubois, which will win Vivian her second Oscar. Oh, my God. Okay. I bet that calms things down. Super doesn't. At all. Because this performance, Blanche Dubois, right, Mm hypersexualized, falling into madness. Vivian goes deep into the role. And once she's done acting, the day at the studio, she'll take off her makeup and go party all night, never losing that Blanche character. So this is nine months of filming, and Vivian will say that Blanche is now in command of her, and I have to let her be. So her spells are increasing. The sexual dynamic of Blanche's character will embed into Vivian, and she is taking some risky sexual chances Increased drinking, increased party. She's out all night and shows up at the studio from partying all night. Oh, also cheating. Sure. But so is Larry. Right. So by 1950, everybody in Hollywood is talking about all of their respective scandal. The train wreck of their relationship. 1953, here's another fun spiderweb for you. She's filming again. Elephant's Walk is the name of this film. And she 
resumes or begins her affair with Peter Finch. I've kind of read it both ways. They may have started in 48, but if they hadn't started, they will. If they had started, they will resume here. Peter Finch is younger. He's risky and he's dangerous and Larry is pissed. And Viv is going to have some tough times during the filming of Elephant's Walk. And she will be replaced with a young actress named Elizabeth Taylor (laughs) in that film. Vivian will get back to Hollywood. She's having an acute nervous breakdown. She hides out at the home of her favorite costume designer so she can kind of get off the grid. They don't want her in a hospital. They don't want her where press can find her. Kind of tuck her away. The shock treatments that Vivian receives are quietly performed there. She's getting treatment, working on herself. She is diagnosed with bipolar disorder. This was manic depression, manic depressive in the old DSM guides, but now it is more currently referred to as bipolar disorder. So this is the cycling of... Manic moods, depressive moods. You have shifting moods of energy, activity, concentration. You swing high to low. You can do everything all at once, all at one time, or you can do nothing. It is is an affliction that is, it's tough. It's tough. Bipolar is super tough. Viv is getting some treatment. And here comes along 1955. And Marilyn Monroe is heading across the pond to star with Larry and the Prince and the Showgirl, which goes badly for the both of them. Vivian says at first, Larry is like totally charmed by Marilyn Monroe and thinking, of course I can sleep with her. I've done it with everybody else. And Marilyn's not into that. And Larry will end up calling this the worst experience of his professional life. He cannot stand Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn cannot stand him. It's bad for the both of them. With the Freud and this movie that doesn't go great and Viv's dissension into treatment and help, it's Mm -hmm. just too much for Larry. So he kind of detaches from his marriage at this point because he's going to get a new co-star and her name is Joan Plowright. And would you believe that she's a Scorpio too? Cannot make this up. (laughs) October 28th. Soon enough, Joan and Larry are in love. It's the Taurus Scorpio pull. Joan is 21 years younger. Oh, my God. His first wife was Jill? Jill. Jill Esmond. Okay. Mm-hmm. Totally age appropriate. To whom? I... <laughs> Joan is 21 years. His yeah, junior. Yeah. And definitely the type that Larry likes. She's the type. Jill's the type. Vivian's the type. Joan Plowright's the type. They're carrying on a raging affair. But Larry and Vivian have committed to doing this tour for the National Theater. So again, they are fighting behind the scenes. Vivian is cycling through ups and downs, high on life, partying, flirting with everyone. Larry is ignoring it until he can't ignore it anymore. And they're fighting. And, oh, it's just so bad. She is sponsoring the Save the Theater campaign back in... Britain and shows up with an eye patch one day and brushes a oh a sliver in my eye. But no, they had a raging fight the night wow. before. So it has turned to violence. 
Vivian goes back in for more shock treatments. She's furious that Larry is stepping out on her. She's just going to go to the press and say, hey, my husband and Joan Plurite are like carrying on this affair. Oh, God. And one night, Larry just packs his bags and he's out. I'm going to go do Spartacus. See ya. And he does. By 1960, they're over and out. Notley Abbey is sold. Larry will marry Joan. And Larry and Joan remain married up to Larry's death in 1989. They have three kids together. Larry will go on to experience new waves of professional success at the Old Vic. And he's going to act up into his death. (sighs) Vivian, before the marriage ended with Larry, has started an affair with Jack Maryvale. And she's working when she can. Vivian's going to win a Tony in 1963. Like, she never stops working. Oh, the best part. She has a cat, Siamese cat named Pooh Jones. Pooh Jones, which is amazing. (laughs) And honestly, uh, y'all, vivinlarry.com is the rabbit hole you want to go down if you like to look at old photos. I found this one. So this is ringing in the new year in 1960. Their divorce isn't finalized until spring of that year. But... Vivian is celebrating New Year's Eve. Legit in the picture there is Joan Collins and Warren Beatty. Hmm. 1960, just sitting in her living room and little Pooh Jones. I mean, there are a bunch of other people there too, but there's Joan Collins. She's like 12. And Warren Beatty, who's like maybe 10. Right. Like they're not. They're not children, but they're so young. Okay. Just delightful. Jack Maryvale is going to end up living with Viv and caretaking her from 1958 to her death in 1967. Okay. She will die July 7th at the age of 53. Hmm. And no one really expects her to die when or how she does. She is said to have contracted tuberculosis. But Natch, when she dies, rumors swirl that it was death by suicide. And all of her friends are like, that is entirely unfounded and completely not true. So it is said that Viv was the love of Larry's life. Tarquin, Larry's son, will say that in Larry's older years, he would just watch films of the two of them together Hmm. and just mourn. What went wrong? Why was I such a fool? This, this is love. It's tragic. These two really had all the things that they could have wanted and dreamed of. Royalty of stage and screen for two decades together. So many more decades between the two of them. They're legends each in their own right. Legendary lovers, both taken down by their own demons that even their love couldn't save them from. Traitor Faulkner, a friend of Vivian's, will say, quote, I think she loved him more than he loved her. She had more to lose. She had taken the bigger gamble. She had this tremendous ambition. She got everything and paid the price. (laughs) And so did he. Unquote. Larry's son said, Both Viv and Larry both felt their demise was their punishment for breaking up those two marriages and kid relationships from all those years ago. The story is just so tragic. Like, it seems from their correspondence, even after their divorce, that the two of them never stopped loving or feeling for one another. 
I don't know how many trash cans this story gets. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot, but also. <laughs> but they're all filled with. Like heart emojis or something. <laughs> awards and accolades and tears. Just buckets and buckets of tears. Larry and Viv, tremendous forces. It's a trashy divorces story for the ages. Lawrence Olivier, Vivian Lee. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, that's... Wow. The, there's a lot there. I know you've been wanting to tell that for quite some time, so... How you feel now that you have. It's a hell of a tale. Yeah. So much more coming on Patreon this week. We're going to dip down. My story next Sunday as well is going to have a through line with this. So you're going to see a lot of fun rabbit holes. However, we have some more sticky, sticky spider webs to get to. Let's take a break to hear from our sponsor this week and we'll, catch you on the flip. Yeah, we'll come back and walk through some spider webs. So, Stacey, you're going to walk us into a little bit more recent spiderwebs in this story. I have a very much requested story. So, y'all are the best. I love season seven. Yeah. So, shout out to Mia, Riz, Jenna, and Sarah, at least. I feel like this comes up a lot, though. This is Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rossdale. Oh, my. Buckle up, everybody. There's a lot here. Okay, so musicians Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rossdale, this is No Doubt and Bush, respectively, were a seemingly perfect couple. Both were beautiful, they were famous, they were successful musicians. They dated for years before Gavin asked her father for permission to pop the question. Oh, wow. It was full steam ahead, and in their 13-year-long marriage, they had three sons. When Gwen filed for divorce in August of 2015, like... Out of the blue, head spun. But perhaps it should not have come as such a surprise. Friends, there's not really any other way to say it, so I'm just going to say it. If media reports are to be believed, Gavin did a bad, bad thing during his marriage to Gwen, and then he lied about it for months. And then he came clean and she dropped him like a hot rock. She's been pretty classy about it in the press. She has not directly spilled tea, but she's been very open about just how exceptionally painful all of this was for her. She has written songs about it. And he's basically declared that their breakup is the single biggest failing in his life and continues to speak very highly of her. So oh, I guess well, that's, that's nice. nice. <laughs> Gavin did a bad, bad thing. All right. It's also possible that Gavin may not rank as highly on the transparency scale as perhaps a spouse might wish. So let's get into that. <laughs> okay. Gavin McGregor Rossdale was born 30 October 1965. He is a Scorpio man. Oh my. In, I looked up how to pronounce this, Marlebone, a section of London's West End. I hope that's correct. I try to write it phonetically. By the 80s, <laughs> he was forming bands that went nowhere, like you do as a, as a teenager with musical dreams. In 1992, the original lineup of Bush formed, initially calling itself Future Primitive. Future Primitive got signed to Hollywood Records the next year and completed their debut album, 16 Stone, which is like soundtrack. I mean, I was the target age for this music at the time. Like, 
this was like the year I graduated high school, right? Like this was music for me. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. And this is like during the grunge explosion, right? Like Pearl Jam and Nirvana. Like it's all it's out there. It's a big there. deal. Yeah. Okay. Here's what's weird. Hollywood Records had some sort of like, like internal power struggle going on. And like it was owned by Disney and a Disney exec died. And so like the, the let's release Bush's album faction like fell out of favor. I mean, this is like royal politics, like court politics here. Anyway, this album will go on to be one of the most successful records of the entire 1990s decade. But Hollywood dropped it. Hollywood Records dropped the band before the album came out. They were just like, this is trash. And they wouldn't release no it. No kid would want to listen to this garbage. <laughs> Every 90s kid everywhere Ever. wants to listen to this. <laughs> okay. Also, there was a band called Garbage <laughs> that we loved. <laughs> okay. So, you know, back in merry old England, all, all the guys in Bush are like, fuck. And they go take house painting jobs or whatever. Like, they've Got to pay the bills. Their record label just dropped them for no reason whatsoever. Just said their album sucked. This album that, like, they they love. Anyway. Pound sand, blokes. Yup. So it's several months, but Interscope Records picks up the band, gets rights to the record, puts the record out. Imagine being a record label executive who opted to pass on Bush's 16 Stone in 1994. Like, you hope there's some. Hope you didn't get your bonus that year. That person walks into a cocktail party and everyone just sort of chuckles. <laughs> I don't know. Wow, what an idea. The record went to number four. The tracks Glycerin and Come Down were both top 40 hits. And as of 2010, this thing had sold six million copies. Holy cats. Gavin Rossdale, welcome to being famous. So let's talk a bit about his personal life to this point. While we also bear in mind that Gavin didn't discuss a lot of his personal life with Gwen <laughs> prior to and during their marriage, I guess. They'll meet in 1995. In the early 80s, Gavin had a relationship with a singer named Peter Robinson, who went by Marilyn. It was like sort of a gender bending. Okay. Um, maybe, I'm not sure, but perhaps like a Billy Porter okay. style cool. character. The details are disputed. This relationship first became public knowledge when Boy George published his autobiography, Take no. It Like a Man, in 1995. At this point, Gavin was like, oh, everybody's suing him over all of the lies in his book. And like, he he never outright said, no, that never happened. He just, he said a lot Talked of words. Talked around it. Mm-hmm. He said a lot of words. Peter also denied it, although later would say that was to protect Gavin and his new project Bush that was just taking off and whatever. Years later, like 03, I think, Marilyn, the artist, Peter Robinson is the person, Marilyn is the stage name. I'm not sure if I made that clear. Anyway, Marilyn puts out a single dedicated to Gavin, including using a photo of them together as cover art and like that might have blown their cover. It has a little thing about their years together and their great love or whatever. In 2009, Peter told the press that they were together for five years <gasps> wow. in the 80s. And in 2010, Gavin like finally acknowledges in an interview with Details Magazine that he he had a he says it was a one-time experience. It was experimentation 
one date that lasted five years. <laughs> Apparently, he had not told. Nope. Nobody. Gwen, this. Nope. And so the reporting in 2010 was that after this interview, like, he went back to details and was like, you can't, please don't, please do not publish this interview. Please cut that out. Please don't. This is what he, this is what he said. So uh, details asks, last year, the cross-dressing pop singer Marilyn revealed that he was romantically involved with you in your teens and assertion Boy George first made in 95. Why haven't you talked about this claims? Gavin says, I think at the outset, there was a sort of fear that was right at the beginning of Bush, and I didn't want it to be part of it. It felt like a cheap shot. So I was like, I'm not getting involved. I've never wanted to appear closed about it. It's not something I've talked about, really, because it's always been in the glare of a tabloid world. It's just one of those things. Move on. When you're 17, Jesus Christ. I don't think there's anything strange about any form of your learning about life. It's a part of growing up. That's it. No more, no less. I agree with all of totally, that. We want totally. to make clear, right? Like, Absolutely. Have the relationship that you want to have. Explore all the things about you and the fulfillment of the destiny of the thing that makes you happy. But perhaps having your wife learn about it when she reads your interview in details. Not recommended. Yeah. From trashy divorces. <laughs> and I, I mean, I don't know how... They talked about this within their marriage. Like, she may have known uh, more about it, but it's... Anyway, there was certainly a lengthy... This was either a five-year-long relationship or a one-time experiment. I mean, who can say? Who can say? So, you know, that may have been a fun surprise there in 2010. She... Ooh, Gavin's in details. Let me see... See how great the press was for this article. I love coverage of my handsome husband. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. But wait. Oh, no. There's more. (laughs) Of course there is. Later in the 80s, Gavin had a relationship with fellow English musician Pearl Lowe, which resulted in the birth of a baby girl. Except that Pearl... Let me guess. Gwen doesn't know about this either. Gavin doesn't even know about this. Oh, shit. So Pearl was married and Pearl just always assumed that her husband at the time, uh, the daughter is Daisy. She's a model. My husband's the dad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, She's a model and actress. Now I'm using her name because she's a public figure by choice. So yeah. So, so Pearl, the girlfriend was married to a dude. She says this affair lasted about five years. He says it was a brief fling, and that's why he had no idea that Daisy was his. But again, no one, no one knew. Like, Gavin was Daisy's godfather. Like, that's how close they all were. I, yes, the reporting around this is all slightly inexplicable to me. I was like, really? Okay, so around 2003, Daisy is being signed as a model. She's friends with Kate Moss. She, like... She's blowing up. She's 14 or whatever. Gonna be famous. And somehow the family learns that the hubby is not her dad. I don't know if she may just have looked nothing like him, but looked more like, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I had a secret vasectomy that no one knew about. I mean, who knows? Who knows? So mom suggests that Godfather Gavin, who they know very well, like he calls, they they're friends like he's her godfather like he may be the dad actually so 
they send him some legal papers and ask for some DNA to test. And uh, I think it took a couple rounds for him to agree, but he did. And in 2004, Gwen Stefani learned that her husband of two years had a teenage daughter from an adulterous affair back in the 80s. If these two people are to be believed, he had a very busy 1980s. It's a lot going on. Very, very busy. All right. Let's jump on over to Gwen Stefani, our long-suffering wife of a dude with a closet full of trash cans. So Gwen Renee Stefani was born October 3, 1969, and is a Libra. Ah. She was the second oldest of four siblings in a Catholic household. They grew up in Anaheim, California. Uh, Tragic Kingdom, the name of their breakthrough album, No Doubt's breakthrough album, um, is actually a reference. One of the band's teachers referred to Disneyland as the Tragic Kingdom. (laughs) Instead of the Magic Kingdom. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Okay. And that's in Anaheim, too. So please okay. don't sue us, Disney. We're just please, quoting please what quoting just, what we've heard. I read it somewhere. Okay. I've seen the band's origin story told a few ways, but I I think effectively. So her older brother, Eric, is some sort of creative super genius. And I think he formed the band with a friend named John Spence. And then Spence, unfortunately, died. Um, so Eric invited Gwen in to, like, why don't you come sing? Like need some folks. They pick up a bassist named Tony Canal, probably. Uh, That's in 1987. He and Gwen began a romantic relationship almost immediately. It would last for seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's her first boyfriend. Um, Does she know it lasts for seven years, or is it just a brief fling? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they dispute that, no, it's a seven-year-long relationship. Interestingly, like, they're still... They're still good. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. She wrote a song, I think, called Cool about their friendship. Like, he's a married vegan animal rights activist bass playing. Like, he sounds like a perfect California guy. Gwen, Gwen was hanging out with Sublime. Like, Gwen feels to me just kind of like a very cool, chill I kind of gal. I really get that. That That is the vibe. 100%. Yeah. All right. So, interestingly, the band was not conceived out of any ambition of making it in music. Like they were just a bunch of creative teenagers who wanted to play music in front of people. They just wanted to book shows and play shows. They just wanted to be loud. (laughs) They just wanted to get on stage and be loud. The dream of every teenager. Yep. And then in 1991, Interscope Records signs them. No. (gasps) So they put out a record called No Doubt in 92. And it didn't sell super well. They got a lot of experience touring, but that's where Eric realized he didn't like touring. He liked sitting at home making things. Ah, it's a good thing to learn about yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, he was like really, by the time they were working on Tragic Kingdom, like he was really pulling out of all of that, moving toward his career as a television animator. I don't know if I mentioned that he's a creative genius. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So as his contributions to the band shrank... Everybody else in the band, including Gwen, really had to step up. Eric was still there for the recording of Tragic Kingdom, which took close to two years. But he was just increasingly frustrated. Like, Interscope wanted what they wanted, right? Like, there was, it was just too much. And the, he wanted the band to write more songs, but then he'd, he wasn't thrilled that people were bringing songs to him instead of just using his songs. 
was it was sort of it was sort of that. So so Gwen's role expanded. She started writing songs instead of just singing Eric's songs. And the album ends up largely being the documentation of the breakdown and then breakup of Gwen and Tony oh, after their seven years. Okay. And that breakup nearly broke the band up. So it just sounds like everything was awesome and no doubt during the making of all of this. And Yikes so by the time the bikes. album yeah, by the time the album actually was released, Eric was like, Hi, I work at the Simpsons now and you guys have fun. <laughs> Love ya. Out of here. Yep. Um, and yeah, he's gone on. He's worked on um, a bunch of animated TV series. So interesting. Living large. The record. Mm. Seriously, the, t- the this was the soundtrack of my '90s. I was over here. I was like '99X was what was on in my car and in my home and in my heart. <laughs> like so, the. It took a while, like they had to promote the record for a few months before it really started to work. But I mean, Just a Girl peaked at number 23, Spiderwebs peaked at number 11, uh, and then Don't Speak. Ah. I know. Do you need some nostalgia? You really do get giddy with all of this 90s nostalgia when you have a story. I really do. Okay, so Don't Speak went to number one and stayed there for 16 weeks, which set a record at the time. It was like the longest whatever at in the number one spot. It went to number one in Australia, Belgium, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, the UK. And it was a top five hit in Austria, Germany, Finland, and France. Whoa. So. Big deal. Yeah. Little Gwen Stefani, who had no ambition of being a musician or a songwriter or any of that, is suddenly really big time. And the next two plus years were a complete blur as they hit the road for a 27-month-long tour. What? That's two-plus years! Yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) Yeah, 27-month-long tour. Wow! There are some things that stood out. However, in 1995, she met Gavin Rossdale when No Doubt opened for Bush in London. In 96, both bands were touring with the Goo Goo Dolls, and uh, that spring, the tour took a southward turn. And so also in that details interview, Gavin would talk about the first dates. Um, he says, I threw a party in New Orleans just as an excuse to hang out with her. We, we drank a bunch of hurricanes and went around the French Quarter. We had our first kiss that night. And then they were sober and awkward the next day, apparently. So this led to a long distance thing that you're... It's tough in the best of situations. My God, yeah. yeah. And... They would take some breaks. Uh, For instance, there was an eight-month gap where Gavin dated Courtney Love. Really? (laughs) Yep. She talked to Howard Stern about it in 2010. Oh, my God. It just seems like a bad year for revelations about your husband if you're Gwen Stefani. Um, Yeah, she says that Gwen knew about it, but my point is that there was perhaps an early period of not very exclusivity while both of these like newly minted rock stars underwent the life change of massive tours and just like overnight you're rich. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Like, like a year ago you're painting houses cause your record label dropped you and you need to eat. And now like you're filthy stinking rich. Anyway, do I seem jealous? Just overnight. 
Okay. <laughs> Obviously, things became more serious between them over time. And fun fact, Gavin was Gwen's second boyfriend ever. Like, Tony had been her first what? boyfriend. They broke up in 94. In 95, she meets Gavin. And, like, I think by the end of 96, they were really tight. The window doesn't stay open long. It doesn't. Doesn't. Definitely big on commitment, this one. So I do want to say that I feel like I cannot stress enough, like, how grounded and level Gwen Stefani seems in interviews and how much for her entire life her dream seems to have just been to follow in her parents' footsteps. So they've been married for, I think, going on 55 years now. Oh, congrats to them. That's amazing. Yeah, they raised a gaggle of cool kids. Her career was not anything she planned for, and it kind of struck out of the blue. But I, she just seems like game for whatever. So she's not going to argue like... And then accidentally I became a rock star, <laughs> like whatever. But at her core, I think she just wanted to make a family. She wanted to be in love with a great guy, raise kids together and love life. And for a long time, she did pretty much get to have that. Until they're she... not on trashy divorces <laughs> for nothing. Here on Happy Families. <laughs> at least until 2015. Oh, no. <laughs> In 2002, Gavin, again, having asked for her father's blessing first, proposed, and they were married later that year in London's St. Paul's Church in Covent Garden. Gwen was a solid hour late for her own wedding, which must have been bullets wedding for Gavin. She was in a white and pink Dior gown, and as her father walked her down the aisle, this is so sweet, she was holding her grandmother's Catholic prayer book and rose, uh, rosary beads. Aww. Almost said rosemary beads, which is not a thing. <laughs> Both of them cried when they exchanged their vows. And Gen X finally had its own example of couple's goals. Couple goals? It's for real. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they seemed perfect. Yeah. They seemed perfect. Um, this they would... relationship is everything we ever want to have. And this is our dream. Yeah. It's a shame he didn't mention a whole lot of things to her. Uh, ahead of this because again they dated for six years like five or six years like so lots of time yeah to bring up he, some he had a minute if he had key information to. so they held a wedding in los angeles a few weeks later for the people who couldn't be with them in london like they're just cool they're just good i just anyway this was for me because <laughs> i was the right age okay so two years on Gwen's husband then receives the letter from the barrister in London asking for the paternity test. Oh. <laughs> hmm. Wow. So Gwen was reportedly devastated by this revelation, although I, arguably I think if the ex-girlfriend is accurate and there was a long affair with a married woman, I think that may have been actually the more... the the part that troubled her more than the fact that like he had a kid he didn't know about. Right. For his part, Gavin was really angry at Pearl at the X for a really long time about all of this, about like bringing it up because they didn't want his money or anything. They just wanted like Daisy just wanted to know for sure who her dad was. Anyway, they have reconnected like Gavin and Daisy have apparently a very good relationship now and um like he posted 
on Instagram of his birthday in 2019, where like all of his kids, her included. Oh, that's nice. Hanging out. Yeah. So, all right. So Gwen and Gavin moved past this. And aside from their music and entrepreneurial endeavors and all the all the stuff that everybody in Hollywood does, there were babies. So the first one was born in 06, the second in 08, and the last was a bit of a surprise in 2014. She had, meanwhile, become a successful solo artist and, like, no doubt still pops up every now and then. Sure. She just does what she wants to do. I think all of them do. Bush had formally split up in 02, but they got back together in 2010, put out new music in 2011, 2014, 2017. Gwen became a coach on The Voice in 2014. Sure did. Um, and now appears in people's living rooms all around the country, being her wonderful self. Gavin made at least one appearance there as a mentor. And then on February 9th, 2015, oh, no. the day after Gwen had performed My Heart is Open with Adam Levine at the Grammys the night before. And again, this is according to multiple media reports that have never been confirmed by either Gwen or Gavin. February 9th is the day that one of their nannies saw a little text exchange pop up on an iPad attached to Gavin's phone that included nude photos of one of the other nannies, plans to meet up for sex, and some explicit language. And she took it to Gwen, her boss. (sighs) I cannot imagine how awkward that must have been. Wait a minute. Nanny finds... Nanny 2. Nanny 2 finds stuff out about Nanny 1 and takes it to Gwen. Well, no. Nanny 2 found out that Nanny 1 was sleeping with her male employer, so she took that info to her female employer to be like, yeah. Okay. Gwen confronts Gavin, who proceeded to, I think gaslight his wife nope. about this affair. Just call it lying. For like six or seven months. Just no, you lie. 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 Lie, lie. Lie, lie, lie. He denied it. Denied there was an affair. They're just flirting. And then for some reason, late in the summer, like he told her no. that there was a three-year-long affair. <gasps> what? Which would stretch it back to her last pregnancy like before her like oh this is a knife to the heart gavin gwen at some point you have been surprised by enough things gavin rossdale had a kid from an affair with a married woman gavin rossdale broke the news of a youthful relationship with a man to you through the pages of details magazine I don't know if he considered these things secret or just didn't see any reason to, like, front page every tiny little thing. And I kind of feel like it was the latter. Like, I don't think he was necessarily, well, the affair here, obviously. But, like, with his bio, I think he may just have thought that was stuff in the past and it wasn't relevant to anything. It wasn't pertinent to the relationship of today. Yeah. Wow. Still, I mean, at some point, it just became clear the Gwen Stefani was not in the relationship she wanted to be in. Wow. She filed for divorce on August 3rd, 2015. And on April 8th, 2016, Gavin put his signature on an agreement that was apparently pretty favorable to Gwen. <laughs> True to form, the demolition of her marriage 
Spark New Music, and that October, Used to Love You was released, appearing on the record, This Is What the Truth Feels Like, oh. released March 2016. This was her first solo record to go to number one on the charts. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Luckily for Gwen, she had a colleague at The Voice who was going through the same darn thing at the same darn time. Handy. In July 2015, Trashy Divorces alum Blake Shelton and Miranda Lambert got a super quickie divorce in Oklahoma, finalized same day. That turned a lot of heads in country music, so clearly there was some commiseration going on behind the scenes at The Voice. And in November 2015, Gwen and Blake went public with their relationship, which is ongoing to this day. This poor woman has been single for like six months of her adult life. Gavin has not remarried, but he does seem to take the dad thing super seriously. That's good. Yeah, so normally the kids swap homes like every fifth day. I'm not sure of the strict details of the custody agreement, but... But like, I think it's like five days there. Shared days custody. Here. It's shared okay. custody. They all, everybody lives in LA. It's all good until the pandemic hit. Oh no! And but like Blake Shelton has this giant ranch in Oklahoma, right? Like California's shutdown order was first in the nation, I think. So he agreed to let Gwen take the kids to the ranch for months. Like they now were they're just home on the range. Well, they're back in L.A. now, but I think late March, yeah, I think everybody just, like, hopped in the car and drove. <laughs> they didn't get back until July. He said they FaceTimed a lot. Like, that was, he was like, I'm constantly in my children's pockets. <laughs> just a lovely phrase. So for his part, Gavin has said that the, quote, gross and lopsided specter of the crumbling of my marriage, unquote, is the thing he's most ashamed of. And Gavin... That's fair. No, own it, man. That's good. I, we don't often see people on our podcast accepting the consequences of bad, bad things. So I'm yeah. glad that it sounds like he is working on that. Good job, Gavin. Yeah. I, I really, I feel like he's the only one in this story who's trashy, although we, we covered Blake <laughs> earlier. But his trashiness is kind of epic in its apparent casualness. He's just, uh, it's weird. I don't, I don't know. I award him less than 50% of 13 years worth of trash cans, <laughs> just similar to the terms of their divorce settlement. And that, <laughs> that is, I don't know, the angel Gwen. Does she get halos? She probably, I think she probably deserves halos. There's yeah. a halo in there somewhere. That's a lot. I mean, she would make a halo look good, let's be honest. And she Bo- really both is. Both of these people. She really is kind of chill and kind of lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that she's a really, really cool mom. Like, I bet she's just, like, super supportive and into whatever the kids are into. I'd be surprised if that's wrong. I bet those kids do not have annual passes to the Tragic Kingdom, though. <laughs> Well done. Thanks. You sounded like you really enjoyed that one. I, I, again, the 90s nostalgia is definitely, in, in the same for way, sure. like, Golden Age, of, this this episode is kind of perfect for us, because Golden Age of Hollywood is your happy place. 90s, like, grunge, that's totally my happy place. I, I loved it. Yeah, so I have a lot of affection for both of these people and, and their contributions to the world. Well done, Stacey. 
Thanks. And well done, listeners. Thanks for your great suggestions. Keep on sending them. You can tack them onto our Facebook discussion group. We have a pin thread there. We love your emails at trashydivorces.com. At Gmail. Trashydivorces at gmail.com. Thank you. We have a whole spider web coming up this week on Patreon, Scarlet Fever, some Notley Abbey. We have a few other fun surprises and tricks up our proverbial trashy sleeves as well. Thanks, everybody, so much for tuning in. We hope you will wash your hands a whole lot of times while also keeping it very, very trashy. We can't wait to see you back next week, friends. (laughs) Clean hearts. No. Damn it. Clean hands, trashy hearts. Thanks for spending your time with us. Y'all rock. Go have a great week. Till then. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.